morning again. I like to say morning as well. Well, I'm just so blessed when we're together and we're singing. The worship was wonderful this morning. Isn't it just great to be back together in God's presence? And this morning, I've been praying that our hearts would all be open to hear and to receive what is God going to say to us this morning. We've just been hearing from Andrew and also in these lovely prayers from Lynn about God's word, full of promises, full of hope, full of joy. It's just full of everything, actually. And so this morning, we're going to continue with the series that we have started about how, how we can trust the Bible. And so far, we've looked at where the Bible has come from and how and why we recognize the 66 books that make up that canon of Scripture. That's a list of books that have that authority. It's, they're considered to be authoritative Scripture. Now, I just heard, uh, <clears throat> listening to N.T. Wright just last week, and here's what he said about the Bible. It is still the best-selling or best-seller of all time. The Bible is the best-seller of all time as a book. It's still being printed and distributed all over the world. And I was asked some questions last week, and I thought, hmm, I'm going to ask these questions this morning just to get you thinking. Because I'm up here and you're down there, and I'm thinking, oh, I'm doing all the talking. So let's get the gray cells working this morning. Here's the first one. When did you first hear about the Bible? I'll give you five seconds. <laughs> well, here's the next one. <clears throat> when did you first see a Bible? Now, perhaps you grew up in a family where there was an open Bible out on the table all the time, or, and as a family, you regularly read the Bible. Or perhaps you saw your first Bible at church, Sunday school, maybe even in school. So here's the next question. When did you first get your first Bible? And I had to think about that one. I went back a few years here. <laughs> For me, it was attendance at Sunday school. And Throughout the year, I don't know if any of us remember this, used to get a wee card for attendance. They got a wee stamp every Sunday. And then you, you were counting up the stamps. And at the end of the year, there was this prize giving. You either got books or you got a Bible. And I got a Bible that year. My first Bible. And you know, I just, the thing I liked about my first Bible was these amazing drawings and the paintings that all the artists put in. I loved the one of uh, Daniel in the lion's den. There he was in the den, all the lines around him, and he's just sitting there quite safe. God was watching over him. So here is the last question for just now. We're going to have a lot of questions this morning. What did you think about it? What did you think about this Bible? What were your thoughts about the Bible? And I ask this because I wonder if any of you, including myself, was inspired when you got that first Bible and you started to read it. Inspired maybe to read it more or inspired to ask more questions. You know, what? who are all these people 
You know, what's God got to do with all their lives? What's, what's happening here? And then, why did Jesus have to die such a cruel death on a cross? And even more amazing, how did he rise from the dead? These were the types of questions I asked, and lots more, and I'm sure you had some too. And I want to hold on to that thought of inspiration because this morning, I mean, what does that mean for you? What did it mean for you then? And what does it mean for you now, even? Inspiration, because this is what we're going to focus on this morning. And what we mean when we say that the Bible, the scriptures, are inspired. They're inspired. And why does that matter? So our first Bible reading this morning is from 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 16 to 17. You may know it. It says, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, Paul was speaking here, and when he says the Bible is inspired, he uses a Greek word. Now, Greek isn't a language that I did at high school. So I had to, I'm having a wee bash at this for all the Greek scholars that are with us this morning. <laughs> the word is, for inspired, is theopneustos. Theopneustos. Theo, meaning God, and neustos, meaning breath, which means God breathed. We heard that a wee bit earlier there in the prayer. Other Bible versions put it, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's breathed out. Now, we can't do this this morning because we've got the masks on, but most of us, <clears throat> well, those who haven't could try it if you like. So, if, uh, just to get our head around this, if you were to put your hand in front of your mouth, just about an inch away, you'd feel your breath on your hand as you speak. Now, it doesn't matter if you whisper or if you shout out loud, your words are carried out of your mouth by the power of your breath. And this is what Paul wants us to understand, that the Holy Spirit empowered every word that the biblical authors wrote just the same way as our outward breath empowers our speech. I can't do that and speak at the same time. <laughs> so, Here's another question. Why is it so important to understand the scripture, that every scripture is breathed out by God? Now, it is important because the word inspired, when it's used today, its exact meaning, it has, it's pretty vague, and it can have different meanings for different people. So, <clears throat> here's a question example. How many of us are fans of the Great British Bake Off? Now, I've, I watched every episode last year. Now, it's a thing I've never done before, but I watched every episode. I really got into it. And I wonder, I'm trying to think back now to all the amazing cake creations that we saw, I wonder if there was anything in one of these programs that inspired you to go and have a bash trying one of these amazing cake creations. Well, perhaps you were successful, perhaps you did, or perhaps you had a try, and this might have happened, you know? A three-tier tier high fairy princess cake with the different buttercream, 
and surrounded all with the glitter on top. And then the wee, wee stunning fairy, princess fairy on the top. That, that's how it might have looked on the programme. Now you had a bash and uh, well, maybe it didn't turn out quite like you thought. There it was, a squashed glitter mountain, lopsided and a winged gargoyle on top, trying to resemble a wee fairy, princess fairy. But it inspired you to go and have a try. It inspired you. And so the word inspired can be used quite loosely today, but I wonder what inspires you now. There was Andrew with that defib that inspire you to have a, hopefully not have a bash at that, but hopefully when you need to, you'll know what to do. What continues to inspire you today? Was it one of your teachers at school who inspired you to take a certain career path? It did for me. Was it perhaps the football coach at the halftime talk with the inspiring talk, come on, we can do it, and then you went on and to win the match? Or perhaps it's a painting or a piece of music that inspires you as you hear it and see it. We could swap the word inspired for motivate. If you look up the dictionary, it'll give you that word. And it would lose none of its meaning, but this isn't the case for 2 Timothy 3.16 that we've just read, because the Holy Spirit didn't motivate the authors of Scripture to write. He breathed out, breathed out at Theopneustus. He breathed out every word of God through them. So we read in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 to 21. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, what Peter's saying here is that no true scripture is the result of human will or some religious genius or great ideas that somebody had that somehow God approved of. Instead, the Holy Spirit moved in and through the writers in order to ensure that the Word appeared on the pages of Scripture that we have now. Men spoke for God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, isn't that an interesting image, carried along? Now, if you can just imagine for a second or two, there you are, you're looking in this lake or down at the fourth there, and you see this yacht and it's just been carried along, or a boat, carried along by the breeze. And just like that, the Holy Spirit carried along all those biblical authors. Of course, as believers and followers of Jesus, we're not so much carried along by the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit living within us, and we can learn to trust the inner promptings of the Holy Spirit so we can follow His leadership in our lives on that sea of life, if you like, and trust Him to lead us in the right direction. So, this is what the authors of the Scriptures wanted their readers and their listeners to understand, that as they were empowered 
by the Holy Spirit, they were delivering the very word of God to them. Now, we see this all the way through the Old Testament. The writers repeatedly said this phrase, thus says the Lord, and it was written 400 times, thus said the Lord. Now, that tells us something, surely. Something important was being said there. They wanted us to listen, to listen. Andrew mentioned this just in that children's talk about listening to what God was saying. And sometimes we can be told something so often, can't we, that we stop listening. It goes in one ear, as we say, goes out the other ear. Here's a wee familiar scene. I was thinking about this, and here's a wee familiar scene that you might have had with your children or still having, even with your teenagers, and even with your children as they get older. So you start off like this. Now, don't do that. No, no, don't, don't touch that. Your voice is quite soft, you know. Don't go there, you know. No, no, don't go there. So the child's looking at you thinking, will I, won't I? Will I, won't I? <laughs> so you think they've got it, so you just turn your back for a second, then you turn back round. No, don't go there. So you're a bit firmer, the voice gets a bit firmer, you know. Don't touch that, it's hot. I don't know if you used to say burny, burny, we did. Don't touch that, it's hot. No, don't go there. Still, they look at you with the look, will I, won't I? <laughs> so as you turn away again, just for a second or two, there they are. They're up there. They've got it, whatever it is they had their eye on. They're just ready to touch the fire, whatever it is, they can, whatever it is, it's hot. Your voice changes. Right, how many times have I told you, don't go there, don't touch that, don't do that? And of course, they go and do it. So there's consequences. Right, go and sit over there, read a book, or go to your room, or it's your grounded, that's it, you're grounded. No pocket money for a week. I don't know what you've tried. We've tried lots of things. Some of them worked, some of them didn't. So similarly, I tell that wee story, similarly, the authors were desperate for the readers and for us to grasp this fact that God is speaking and what he's saying, he's requiring us to listen because when he speaks that breathed out word, yes, it gives us warnings, but yes, the scriptures speak of God as being all loving. We're telling our children not to go there for a reason. We want to keep them safe. God is all powerful. He's all knowing creator. He's the king of kings. He's the righteous judge. And in the Old Testament, one of the most powerful kings in the world, Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. This is what he said about God in Daniel chapter 4, verse, verse 34. He said, his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does what he wants with the army of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. There's no one who can block his hand or say to him, what have you done? Now, if this powerful king recognized 
how powerless he was before the king of the universe, then it would be wise, wise for us to acknowledge this as well and be humble enough to pay close attention to what God says in his breathed out word. So are you still with me? <laughs> Quite meaty stuff uh, as, I, as I was studying this. I learned a lot myself. But what about if we turn to the New, question, the New Testament? Here's another question. I wonder what, what did Jesus think about what the Bible said? What did he believe about the Bible? Well, if we turn to Luke chapter 24, verses 44 to 47 tell us. He said to them, that's the disciples, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand scriptures. He told them, as the disciples, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Well, from these verses, it is crystal clear. It's a crystal clear answer as to what Jesus believed about the scriptures. He believed that every single word matters. He believed they were authoritative. They were powerful. They were truthful. They believed, he believed they were all about him and that they also proclaimed the way of salvation. And in the New Testament, Jesus used the scriptures to teach his followers. He used the scriptures to expose his opponents, and there were many. He exposed them. He responded with God's word and used it as a weapon when Satan tempted him to sin. Now, here is a powerful and a great spiritual truth for us to grasp about the power of God's Word. It's such an important part of our spiritual armor and the spiritual warfare that we engage in. Ephesians 6 and 17 tells us to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We have to take it. We have to use God's word. Hebrews 4 and 12 reminds us that God's word is living and it's active. It's sharper than, the two, than any two-edged sword. We can use God's word just as Jesus did against the devil as he would seek to cause us to doubt God's sovereignty, God's power, his goodness, his love, and his plan of salvation for everyone. We can use God's word. It's living. And here's a quote from John, John Piper. You may have read some of John Piper's books. He's a theologian and a pastor as well. He sums this up really well. He says, he, that's Jesus, taught that everything in it, that's the scriptures, must be fulfilled. That the psalm writer spoke by the Holy Spirit that Moses' words in Scripture were the very words of God, that not one part of the Scriptures can be broken, that faithfulness to the Scriptures will keep us from error, that it can defeat 
the most powerful adversaries, that it is a litmus test to show if our hearts are open to know Jesus, and that it is a virtual script being acted out in the triumph of Jesus through his sufferings, through his death, and through his resurrection. Well, that just about sums everything up. It's a really good quote about God's breathed word. Well, here's another question. You may be, you may be thinking, well, here's the question. How does this God-breathed word and this being carried along by the Holy Spirit, how does it leave any room for any personality and style of the human writers? It is a really valid question, I think, a really valid question. And if we look at the 40-plus uh, biblical authors, we see that they wrote in their own styles, and they each had their own wee quirks and their personalities. So, for example, you know, they weren't just robots, just, you know, typing in the words. They had their own personalities. So, if we think, if we think of David and his poems in the Psalms, they reflected his experiences with God. Then we've got uh, others um, who were given great wisdom by God, like Solomon in Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, the Songs of Solomon. There's Paul in the New Testament. He writes his letters, and let's be honest, some of them are really difficult theologically to grasp, but there he was, sending these letters to the churches and that he'd planted and the pastors that he was training. And then we've got Daniel, back to Daniel again, and John, what an amazing visions that they shared in their books. They're all different, but more importantly, they were all sharing their own experiences or they were recording the experiences and the stories of other eyewitnesses just as they were of God's work. Now, they didn't just write the scriptures, they lived the scriptures. And they weren't just like puppets, they were used by God in order to get the word of God down on the pages of scripture that we have now. And they, God was able to shape their lives, he was able to order their lives and through their lifestyle, their family, their culture. And he was able to order them and combine them with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to bring about the word of God that we have now in scriptures. So after discovering all this, we may be asking ourselves another question. I've got three cells of hope working this morning. Does it really matter? Does it really matter that every word, the scripture is God's exact word? Every word is exact. Does it really matter? Well, John 6 gives us the answer in the New Testament to this. We read in this uh, chapter in John 6 that many people who'd followed Jesus from the beginning were now turning, it tells us they were turning their backs on him and they were walking away. And then Jesus brings a question that challenges his disciples and it strikes right at the very heart of why God's inspired 
and breathed out word really matters. Here's what Jesus asked them from verse 67. So do you want to leave too? There's these people all walking away. He turns to the disciples and says, do you want to leave too? Jesus asked the 12. And here's Simon Peter. This is what he answered. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, honestly, if Jesus had asked you or me that question, what would we have answered him? What would we have answered him? Where can we go? Where can we go? Who has all the answers to the big questions of life? Such as, where do I come from? Why am I here? Why is the world the way it is? Why do people suffer? What is death? What is good? What is evil? Am I good? Am I evil? These are some of the questions that are asked. And if we were to turn our phones off and our laptops just away and step away just for that short, short time from all these distractions in our lives, these questions, these questions will crash over us just like the waves coming in to the seashore. In they come, can't be avoided, and we can't answer them all. The crowds were walking away but the disciples stayed. They stayed because they believed he was the only one who had the words of eternal life. He was the only one who had all the answers. And it's the same eternal life that Jesus calls each one of us to find in him. He has the words of eternal life. Those same words breathed out by God carried along by the Holy Spirit, and we have them all today in the Bible. It is still the bestseller of all time. And as we heard earlier from Andrew, it is a life saver. It's still alive and kicking, as we would say. God's breathed out word continues to speak to each one of us today. Still with me? Well, we started with the question. I'm going to finish with the question. This is the final question we can ask ourselves this morning. Just as the crowds walked away from Jesus, there's an opportunity here for everyone, everyone, and here it is, the question. Will you stay? Will you stay? <clears throat> Not turn your back and walk away, but will you believe and trust? Trust in the one whose words will not only give you all the answers, but will also, more importantly, bring you the eternal life that Jesus offers now 
and forever. Let's pray together. Eternal and loving God, we thank you for the Bible, your God-breathed word to us. Thank you for the way you carried along by the power of your Holy Spirit, those biblical writers over the centuries, so that we can read and hear its pages and find you and your words of eternal life to us. We thank you that desire each one of us to come to know you, whom to know is life eternal. Thank you that as we come to know you, your Holy Spirit lives within us. And we ask you would speak afresh into each one of our hearts this morning. May we come to see you more clearly, love you more dearly, and follow you more nearly. For Jesus' sake, amen. <laughs>